Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 17. 2 Samuel chapter 17. If you um, didn't bring one this morning, that's okay. Uh, Or if you don't have one, that's fine. You can grab one right there in the pew in front of you. Um, and you can open up to page 268 in the Pew Bible, and you'll be right where we're going to be this morning. We'll be looking at all of 2 Samuel chapter 17, but I'm just going to read, uh, for time's sake, verses 1 through 14 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. And as you open up to that passage, why don't you do me a favor and go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author of 2 Samuel writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace." And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, verse 5, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken, shall we do as he says, if not you speak. And then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. And if he withdraws into a city... Then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm 
upon Absalom. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, I ask if you would to please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, I ask that we would be changed by the power of your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Studies indicate that in our society, in our world, in our country, fear is on the rise. Uh, There are actually studies that people do on the fears of average Americans and the fears and the level of fear that people have. And for decades now, we've seen an intense, perhaps I should just say an intensification of the fears that people experience. People are afraid. And I'll be the first to admit, there's plenty to actually be afraid of. There are fearful things in the world. We're not a bunch of Pollyannas. We don't bury our head in the sand. We don't say everything's fine when things aren't fine. There's a lot to be wary of, rightfully so. And yet, we have to remember this. How we handle what we fear. How we handle what we're afraid of. It's a gauge. It's a barometer of the role of faith. How much we trust God in our hearts and in our lives. You see, if our eyes are on God and on His promises and on His sovereignty, it changes how we relate to those things which we fear, those things which we are afraid of. As Paul tells us in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? In fact, I'm always surprised when I hear this, and if you research this, there are lots of different arguments on Uh, what the true answer to this is, but many argue, and I do think it's one of the most frequent commands, many argue that the most frequent command in all of the Bible is fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Reminds me of the SNL skit a few years ago, though. Maybe for some of us, that's sort of like when you in the SNL skit where uh, there was a counselor there and people would come and tell him their problems and he would say, stop it. They would tell him another problem and he would say, okay, stop it. Fear not, it's easier said than done, isn't it? We can say stop it all we want, but it's not always so easy just to stop it. It's not so easy just to say, do not fear. This morning, we continue in the narrative of one of the greatest trials in the life of King David. His son, Absalom, has launched a coup that is on the verge of total victory. Some of David's key advisors, primarily Ahithophel and his soldiers and all of Israel, has joined together, it seems like, with his son, Absalom. And they have abandoned the rightful king. And there's only one thing at this point that seems to stand in the way of the reign of Absalom, and that's the life of his own father, the king. David wrote about it this way in Psalm 3. Psalms are so beautiful and wonderful, but they also give us key insights into certain parts of the Bible. And here, the third psalm has a superscription that tells us David wrote it during this time and wrote it about this season of his life. And in the sixth verse of that psalm, David said this, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Isn't that strange? Isn't that a strange thing? If you're David and you know what's going on, 
And if you think about it for just a moment, Ahithophel has said, I, I'm going to go ahead and take right now 12,000 men. We're going to go, we're going to overtake David. And as we read this passage, it's clear that that's possible. It's clear that Ahithophel was right. They could have gotten there, they could have killed David and put an end to the whole thing. But isn't it strange that David would say, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. This morning, I want to help us all understand how we can have that sort of mindset, that sort of heart, that sort of response to fear. I'm going to show you today three points that I believe will help you fight fear by focusing on who God is and what God has done. I, I want you to fight fear, fearfulness. Now, I don't think it's always a sin to be afraid, but are we living in a state, a constant state of fearfulness? I, I'm going to help you today, I hope, by, by the Word of God, His Holy Spirit, I think, will help us this morning fight fear with faith. That is, we will have some help by the Lord in His Word today, turning from fear to faith this morning. Three points I want you to see about how to handle fear. Here's the first reminder for us. A first reminder for us in fighting fear. This might be something you just remind yourself of. Every time you are afraid, God answers prayers. God answers prayers. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 15, just a couple of chapters back, David had learned that this key advisor, Ahithophel, someone on whom he depended for good wisdom and, and good words, help in leading the kingdom. He learned in uh, chapter 15 of this book that he had joined the coup. He had joined the rebellion. He was conspiring against his king. Second Samuel 15, 31. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And what did David say in response? Hear what he said. O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And immediately in that chapter, chapter 15, God gives David an immediate answer to prayer. Uh, a man named Hushai the Archite shows up in mourning, clearly a sign that he's loyal to David, and David decides to employ him as a double agent. His loyalty remains with David, and yet he is making it seem with Absalom and others like his loyalty is with him. And so he has successfully infiltrated the coup. So fast forward to the passage at hand and you can see why Ahithophel is such a trusted advisor. Let me choose 12,000 men, he says here in the war cabinet with David. Bear in mind, Hushai the archite is not one of the insiders here. He's not in the cabinet, so to speak. He's an outsider. They have to call for him to come later. And so Ahithophel has the court. Everyone is listening. David, uh, even when he uh, had Ahithophel as his advisor, the Bible tells us, treated what Ahithophel said almost as if it was the word of God. And so is the same with Absalom. Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. Uh, Ahithophel's plan leaves Absalom safe in Jerusalem. It, it exposes David's current weakness as he's on the run. And it avoids a protracted, bloody civil war. 
What, what he's saying is, if we can just get rid of David, everyone else will fall in line. Who else will they go to? Of course, they'll uh, follow his son if we just get him out of the picture. But almost certainly, Ahithophel's counsel would have worked. It was wise. It was the good choice. It, it's really a smart plan when you look at it. Um, and, and if you have any inclination towards supporting Absalom, it is what's best for the country in so many ways to avoid a horrible war. But what's best for the country right then is not necessarily God's plan. Or what seems best for the country is not necessarily God's plan. God had planned to establish the throne of David forever, to put David on the throne, and God's promises are named through David. And here Absalom is a usurper. He is abandoning God's plan for his own sake, for his own pride. And here we see Ahithophel's counsel would have worked. And there's no one there to stand against Ahithophel's actions. In fact, immediately the Bible tells us, everyone says it seems right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. But God answers prayers. God answers prayers. Verse 5, Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. Let's bring somebody else in and hear what they have to say. There's no reason for him to do it. There's nothing that makes it seem like he would do that. Everyone seems to be on board with Ahithophel's plan. And yet here is this strange moment where God shows that he answers prayer when Hushai the archite is brought in. Let me say this. Uh, brothers and sisters, we will be paralyzed with fear. Paralyzed with fear. If we do not live with our souls with our hearts, with our minds, oriented toward God. And the primary way that God has given us to live a God-oriented life, a spiritually-centered life, the primary tool God's given us for that is prayer. To, to live a life of prayer. To live a life in fellowship with God through prayer. You see, fear begets frantic action, but faith begets Faithful, careful, peaceful prayer. You see, when we don't trust God, fear takes over. But when we do trust God, we're driven to ask Him to act and to work. And God answers prayers. A life of fear begets tiresome worry. Does it not? <laughs> when we live in fear, we find ourselves exhausted and worried all the time. And, and let me tell you, I, I think we have one of the most beautifully unified churches I've ever been a part of. I'm so grateful for the unity and the sweet spirit that God's given this church. And yet there are still days when I think, you know, I get worried about a situation or I get worried about this and that. And I'll, I'll sort of be concentrating on it. And then I finally have to come to a moment. And do you know what I say? I say, well, Alexander... The good thing is, this isn't your church. This is the Lord's church. And if, if this church was dependent on you to keep things on the rails and to keep things unified, think, keep things going the same way, it would have been gone a long time ago off the rails. Things would be a lot worse than they are. But this is the Lord's church. And so I can lay my head on the pillow at night 
And rather than fear creating tiresome worry in my life, instead what faith does is it begets rest in God's promises. If God says, I will build my church, I believe Him. And if the gates of hell won't prevail against His church, I'm not worried because God will build His church. Fear begets doom and gloom, but faith begets hope. Fear leads us to blame and hatred, but faith leads us to gracious love toward others. If we are always looking only at the material cause of things and the way things look with our eyes, if we're always looking for an answer that's covered in dust, then we will not be able to focus on God. We will not be able to focus on Christ and we'll have a life of worry rather than a life of prayer. Let me ask you a simple question. That thing you fear most, and I have a list, (laughs) just like you do, have you prayed? Have you prayed? That thing that's looming over you, those storm clouds you see out in the distance. Do you trust the Lord? Do you believe that God answers prayer? William Cooper, the great hymn writer, said it this way. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break with blessings on your head. Oh, friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? Fear kills prayer, but God answers prayer. Second of all, fear kills wise decisions. Fear kills wise decisions. David's response immediately after his prayer in employing Hushai, the archite, to go and uh, work as a double agent was an example of faith in action. So often we think that trusting the Lord by faith and praying to the Lord means that we need, then need to just sit back and not care uh, and, and let go and let God. But no, friends, faith almost always results in some sort of action. And here we see David doing that. God answers David's prayer in a practical way. Absalom, as I've mentioned already, he calls for Hushai, this double agent, to evaluate the plan. And so Hushai gives bad advice. It's his job, literally. And um, it's a job I would like to have one day. I feel like I could do that if I needed to, you know? Just, hey, give bad advice all the time. I'm capable. And so here's the reality, though. Hushai intentionally gives bad advice, but he does it in an expert way. He plays into the legendary status of David. Now, as we know, if you've read much at all in the Samuel narratives, you know that David is a legend in Israel. Literally, there are songs that are sung in Israel about how great and wonderful David is. It's one of the things that got him out of the good graces of the former king Saul. People would sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so you can imagine the young prince Absalom, this beautiful little boy, was raised on his mother's lap, I'm sure, singing the songs about his father's mighty deeds. And so Husha exploits that fear and reverence that people have about the person and abilities and giftedness of David the king. And he leads off saying, your father and his men are mighty men. 
And besides that, have you really thought about what you have done? You know, it's one thing to have beautiful hair and ride around in a chariot all day and tell people how good of a king you would be. It's another thing altogether to run off the warrior par excellence in Israel's history. The warrior king. Capital W, capital K, warrior king. You've run him off, and now he's like a mother bear in the field who's been robbed of her cubs. Hushai later, again, he says, in the kind of situation we might find ourselves in, when one or two people start to be killed, even a lion-hearted man would fail in battle, would lose heart in those moments. Do you see a little bit of what Hushai's doing? How smart Hushai is? One of the great things about David and one of the ways that David would have been talked about and praised in his military prowess, you know it, don't you? When his flock was in danger, what did David do? He killed a bear, didn't he? He, he killed a lion, didn't he? Hushai is bringing this sort of imagery up intentionally in order to remind Absalom of how mighty his great father really is. On top of that, Hushai goes on. He says, he's too smart to sleep with the people. A Ahithophel won't be able to find him to kill him. I'm sure he's in a pit somewhere. So they're going to come up on this mighty and valiant army. They're going to start losing people immediately. They're not going to be able to find David. And this protracted civil war we're trying to avoid is going to be lost from the beginning because then reports are going to go out and you know how people are even if one or two people die they're going to hear there's been a great slaughter among the followers of Absalom we knew this wouldn't work we better go back to David and so he begins to do what he begins to let Absalom know these people that you've stolen away are going to hear about what's happening And we can't afford a PR disaster like that right now. We've barely even established our government. And so what Hushai does is give advice that buys precious time. He says, if we're going to go after David, we better have a full army. None of this 12,000 men stuff. We better go to every tribe. We better get as many people as we possibly can. And let's have a proper battle when the time is right. Now think about this. Absalom and others hear it and they believe it. And they said, no, this is better. Hushai's better counsel plays on Absalom's fears. Do you see it? The fear of his father. The fear of a loss. The the fear of losing the admiration of the people. They say pride goes before fall, and it's unquestionable that Absalom was a proud man. And so striking at the heart of, of his pride is also playing on his fears and in so doing this God's plan comes to fruition the actually good and wise counsel of Ahithophel is defeated and the bad counsel of Hushai is followed now here we see one of these beautiful sort of moments in the Bible where uh, the the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man, where God takes foolish things and, and uses them to shame the wise in this world. But I think there's something for us to learn as Christians, and it's that fear kills wise decisions. Fear kills wisdom. Later, we learn that Ahithophel presumably fearing the future when he sees the way things are going to go. And I think he was wise enough to know that when they didn't follow his plans, things were not going to go well for his side of things. And so 
Ahithophel, in a tragic end, takes his own life. Do you see it? Do you see the way that fear leads to unwise decisions, the way fear leads to foolishness? Brothers and sisters, we will never make wise decisions that are decisions made purely out of fear. And so I ask you this question. What guides your life? What's, what's, what's guiding your life? Is it faith or is it fear? Fear is never going to lead us to God's path of wisdom. Instead, if we focus on God and not on fear, on trusting the Lord, being valiant before the Lord, we will be led to a life of wisdom through Christ. God answers prayers. Fear kills wise decisions. And our final point is this. Faithfulness requires courage. Faithfulness requires courage. Throughout this chapter, we see multiple profiles in faithful courage. People who trust God's promises, who who believe the word of the Lord, and people who remain faithful, not simply to the person of David, but to the plan of God that's being carried out in the life of David. Hushai showed courage, did he not? Being willing to be a double agent, take his life in his own hands. We're introduced in verses 15 through 29 to two priests, or we are reminded of two priests, Zadok and Abiathar, who showed courage in being willing to take news to David's camp. And Zadok and Abiathar pass the news off. They have a complicated method of getting news to David, to two couriers named Jonathan and Ahimaaz. And they are couriers of information, and they showed courage in being willing to serve as couriers. And when they received the information from the priests who already had an air of suspicion about them, a young man saw them and took the news to Absalom. They showed courage in pressing on to try to get this vital information to the king. And they get to a place called Baharim. And when they get there, they meet a woman who also showed courage by hiding the couriers from Absalom's servants. And when, when, when uh, Absalom's servants come, she redirects them away from those who are taking this vital information to the king. And so they finally make it to David and tell him what's going on. And it allows David to go over the Jordan River to have a more safe place. And so Absalom starts moving toward his father and David is assembling for war. And as the stage is being set for this decisive battle, two men, Shobai and Makir, they show courage by giving the king much needed supplies when, as the Bible says, they were hungry and thirsty and weary in the wilderness. Many thousands of people have gathered round about David and against David, but there are still those who show faithful courage and being committed to the cause of God in the life of David. And I want all of us here to know, we all have to know this, this is true, faithfulness requires courage. It requires courage. We cannot be cowardly in the kingdom of God. We cannot live by fear in the kingdom of God. You see, faithfulness requires the courage for stand, to stand for what is right, even when wrong seems to prevail. There are some of you who find yourselves at work or in your life or in different situations where people around you might even mock you for believing God's truth. You know already, you don't need me to tell you that it requires courage to stand for what is right. Faithfulness requires the courage to put our faith in God even when we cannot see where He is leading. 
If, if you want to trust the Lord, you don't know always where He's headed, where He's going, where He's taking you. It requires courage to put faith in God. Faithfulness requires the courage to trust that God will work and act even when fear makes perfect sense. Nothing seems more foolish than courage when everyone's afraid. And yet we trust the Lord. Friends, brothers, sisters, faithfulness requires the courage to go all in on God's promises when doing our own thing seems more sure. But I want to tell you something, my friends. We trust the Lord no matter what. And we are provided courage by the promises of God. How could David do it? How could he say, I do not fear thousands who are gathered round against me? How could he say it? How could he say he trusts the Lord even when all these thousands of people have set themselves against him? Even when his whole kingdom seems to be slipping through his hands? Faith over fear is easier said than done, is it not? But I want you to hear how David closes out that third psalm. Verse 8. He says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. It's David reminded of. It's not David's kingdom. It's not David's promises. It's not David's abilities. Salvation doesn't belong to the king. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord's children. It's the Lord's family. It's the Lord's business. It's the Lord's livelihood. And if you are in Christ, God has promised that all things are working together for good for you. Will you trust Him today? Will you choose faith over fear? Brothers and sisters, we must fight fear with prayer. We must fight fear with wisdom. And we must fight fear with faithful courage. Will you choose to trust God rather than yourself this morning? I hope. I hope you will. I want to offer an invitation today. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, it would be such a joy for me today to talk to you about what it means to be a believer in Christ. I, I believe if you'll turn from your sins and repentance, turn to God in faith through Jesus, you will be saved. And, and listen, those sins that weigh so heavily on you, they'll no longer be yours to deal with. They'll be the Lord's to deal with. And I assure you, He has dealt with them through His Son at the cross. Would you trust Him today? Second of all, not only do I speak to those who have never trusted Jesus, but I spoke, speak to those who have already trusted Christ. Those who love and treasure Jesus already, but perhaps there's a point of fear in your life or something going on in your life and you need someone to pray for you or you need, need some time with the Lord at the altar or you need to do business with the Lord right where you are. I want you to respond to God during this time as a song plays in just a moment. You respond to the Lord as He's leading. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be to, for me today to get to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. If the Lord's working with you, I want you to respond to Him. As the song plays, I'll be waiting on you right down front. After this prayer, I invite you to come. Let's pray together.